Please open your Bibles to John 10, 1 through 18, or follow along on the screen. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. A lot of you all know... um my family. I come from a very large family. I'm one of eight, um, and a lot of us have started having kids of our own. So I think we're at 12 cousins, uh, kids of our own, uh, between all eight of us so far. And those family gatherings keep growing. Um, And it's amazing the amount of noise that that number of cute little kids can make, right? I mean, even when you just have two kids or three kids, Uh, Or if you go to a friend's house and just your two kids play together, they can make so much noise. And if a stranger was to listen in, they would just hear a bunch of jumbled noise. But parents, you know, you can always tell when it's your kid. You know, like you hear, and you know, okay, that, that one's mine. Or even better, when you hear, and you go, oh, thank goodness, that's not mine. We know when our kids are speaking to us. We know when they cry out for us. We know when they're in trouble, and we know when they are in trouble. But often, that theme doesn't seem to go the other way. Very often, I will call out to my child, and they will ignore me, right? You've experienced this too, and you're like, I I know they're not deaf, uh, I, what is going on here? And either they can't hear you or they're choosing to ignore you, right? Uh, especially when they're very engrossed in a toy or hanging out with their friends. Not so with the people of God. 
You see, just like I know the sound of my son's voice, I can pick it out in a crowd. No matter how big, when he cries, I know it's mine. Jesus knows who are his. It doesn't matter how big the crowd. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you are doing currently. Jesus knows if you belong to him. And because Jesus bought you with his blood, you, Christian, will always hear when he calls. It's a guarantee. And if you're outside of Christ and Jesus has died for you, you will hear him when he calls. Our text this morning is John 10. Uh, We'll be looking at um, almost the whole chapter. We'll be bouncing around quite a bit. And it was important that we read all of uh, verses 1 through 18 this morning. You would have noticed an analogy that popped up quite a lot. Jesus is the shepherd, and he is calling out his sheep. Kids, that's the analogy we'll be using today. Jesus, anytime you hear about the shepherd, the good shepherd, that's Jesus. And when you hear Jesus talking about sheep, that's his church. That's everyone who's believed in Jesus. Now, where are we in John's gospel? Well, Jesus, in chapter 9, healed a blind man on the Sabbath. The Pharisees called Jesus out on it, right? Because in, uh, in Old Testament times, you weren't supposed to do work during the Sabbath. You weren't supposed to uh, work hard. You're supposed to rest. And, and the Pharisees are trying to catch Jesus. They're, they're conniving. They're trying to catch Jesus in something that he's doing wrong. They call him out on, on healing a blind man. And so Jesus responds, And he responds not just in front of the Pharisees, but in front of a mixed crowd. Uh, There are Jews there. There are religious leaders there. There are a lot of different people listening in, and the disciples are there. Jesus makes bold claims about himself. You see, at this point, nobody knows that he is the Son of God. No one's eyes have been opened to understand that Jesus is the Christ. And what that means is that he's bringing his people into a heavenly kingdom. No no one's following Jesus there. Jesus is making bold claims about himself. He's saying, I and my Father are one. And so the people say, well, he must be a blasphemer. He's blaspheming against God because he's claiming that he's one with God. Some think he must have a demon, right? He's done these amazing things. He's speaking with authority, and they're like, man, well, he must be demonically possessed, empowered. And other people are saying, no, he can't have a demon because he's healed someone. He's healed someone who is blind. The question on everybody's minds as Jesus is speaking is, who is Jesus? And Jesus is going to tell us, he is the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. This is our launching point for today's sermon. Jesus is the good shepherd, and he is actively gathering his sheep scattered abroad. So let's look back at verse 1 of chapter 10 to see what the great shepherd is up to. The text tells us that the great shepherd is engaged in four actions. Let's look at number 1. Verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold but by the door, uh, by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him 
because they know his voice. Jesus is providing a running commentary for his listeners. He's explaining, this is what's going on in front of you right now. He is pulling back the veil on reality to let his listeners know there's something bigger going on behind the scenes, even as I'm speaking to you. Jesus is a Jew. He came to the Jews. All the people listening to him in this moment are Jewish. And Jesus compares the Jews, the, the nation of Israel, to a sheepfold, an enclosure with sheep inside. Jesus gives this teaching in John 10 to Jews in Israel, in Jerusalem, which is the city of the Jews. In Jesus' analogy, his listeners are this sheepfold, a, a gathering of sheep in a sheepfold called Israel. Now, there are different kinds of people trying to access the sheepfold, is what Jesus tells us in verse 1. Uh, thieves and robbers hop the fence to steal sheep. We're going to read later in verse 12, hired hands abandon the sheep when trouble comes. And in verse 14, the good shepherd enters the sheepfold to call his sheep out from Israel. But Israel isn't the only place that Jesus is looking for sheep. See, Jesus is calling. He's calling his sheep in this sheepfold called Israel, but that's not the only place that he's calling to his sheep. Look at verse 14. You might have to turn a page. Verse 14, it says, I am the good shepherd. That's who Jesus is. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. You see, Jesus in this moment is on a mission. He's always on a mission. At this moment when he's teaching, he's gathering sheep from the sheepfold of Israel. In fact, in Jesus' lifetime, he ministered almost exclusively to the Jews. Romans 5.18 actually tells us that. It says Christ became a servant to the circumcised. That's Jewish short, shorthand for Israelites. But he tells us he has sheep that are in other folds. And he is calling to them wherever they are. In John 4, Jesus goes to the Samaritans. They're, they're half Jews. And he calls for his sheep. And the Samaritan woman at the well responds. In Acts 2.39, the newly uh, appointed, anointed apostles proclaim that the good shepherd's call is not just to the Jewish people present, but also to their children and those who are far off. In verse 16, in our text, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. See, we're cluing in that not all of Jesus' sheep are in one place, like they should be. They're supposed to be in one enclosure together, but they are not. Jesus is going out to find lost sheep everywhere. Some of them are here in the Israelite sheepfold. Others are in the Samaritan sheepfold. If you read through the, through the Bible, you'll notice other names. There are some in the Corinthian sheepfold. There are some in the Ephesian sheepfold. There are some in the Philippian sheepfold. Or we could say that there are some in the Texan sheepfold. They are scattered, but Jesus is going to gather them. Listen to Jesus' resolve in verse 16. He says, I must bring them also. 
John picks up on this idea later in his book. During Passion Week, just a couple chapters later, Jesus offers an extended prayer. John 17, we call the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Right before he offers up his own life on behalf of his sheep, he offers up a prayer on behalf of his sheep. He intercedes for his disciples before God the Father. And what does he ask? John 17, 11, he asks for his disciples, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus prays the same thing in three verses. But listen to how he broadens the scope in verse 20 during Jesus' high priestly prayer. He says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. He's saying here, he's praying not only for the disciples who are present, for those who are following him currently, he's praying for those who don't even know their disciples yet. He's praying for his sheep who don't even know that they're part of the sheepfold yet. Jesus knows who are his own, no matter where they are, no matter where they come from, and no matter what they are doing currently. And Jesus, he's not concerned with the size of this task. Think about if you're a shepherd, guys, imagine kind of the analogy here. If, if you're a shepherd, there are always more sheep than shepherds. Right now, I have two kids Another one on the way, but we just have two kids right now, and we, my wife and I can tag team, right? She can grab one, I can grab the other, right? But eventually, we'll have so many kids, I mean, who knows, Lord willing, we'll have at least three, and we'll be outnumbered. I mean, that ain't nothing compared to what a shepherd had to do. He had folds of 60, 100, sometimes 600 sheep, massive groups of sheep spread out over a plain, and he has to make sure that they all stay together. Often in the dead of night, sheep will get spooked out by noises. There will be thunder, lightning, things that frighten them, and they scatter, and they go everywhere. I've heard stories of people in England in the early 20th century uh, having uh, great storms come over their sheepfolds, and they wake up in the morning, and all their sheep are just gone. Nowhere to be found. They're in counties over. They're, 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 it's like they're nations over, and they have to go for miles and miles and miles to grab 600 sheep. In 2020, it, it was estimated that around the world there are 660 million evangelicals. That number has probably grown. We're not just talking about people who name Christ, who proclaim Christ. That number is about 2.1 billion. But people who are evangelicals, people who believe the gospel at least in, in words the same way we do. Now, if even a portion of those are truly born-again believers— that is a mighty fold. That is a big group of sheep. And Jesus is not concerned with the size of the task to gather that many people together. You see, Jesus' flock doesn't just extend across space, across the earth. It extends across time as well. 200 years ago, not a single one of these 660 million Christians were alive. There were millions before that. And before that generation, millions before that. And before that generation, millions before that. Brothers and sisters, we don't know when Jesus is coming back, but if he even waits another generation, there may be 660 million more Christians yet waiting to be saved. Jesus' sheepfold is immense. 
And he doesn't take a break. He doesn't take a Sabbath. He doesn't take a breather. He doesn't need a drink of water. He is actively, aggressively today gathering his sheepfold. No matter where his sheep are, no matter where they come from. But what is he calling this fold to? What's he calling his sheep together to do? Just to hang out and go, bah. Right? Is that what we're supposed to do? Just get together and be like, what up, dude? I get called to do things all the time. I get ads on YouTube telling me to eat a $5 foot long. I get invites on Facebook to Facebook groups. Uh, Carter Blood Center calls me probably every other day saying, hey, donate more blood. Right? They're after my blood. What's Jesus calling his sheep to? What's he calling us for? Jesus is calling to give his sheep eternal life. Look at verse 27, chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. We're focusing on verse 28 right now. Jesus is calling his elect that's what he calls the sheep here, his elect, to give them eternal life. Jesus' fold is the kingdom of heaven. Last week we said that the kingdom of heaven is anywhere that Jesus is reigning fully. It's a kingdom with no end. It's untouchable. It's unshakable. It's unstoppable. Jesus says, those who are my own will never perish. Kids, that means that no one who believes in Jesus will ever die. Yes, we die a physical death, but not even a physical death can separate us from God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When someone you know who has believed in Jesus dies, the moment they die, they're with Jesus. You know, sheep are not the smartest animals on the block. They're, they're pretty dumb. Kids, I go to Chick-fil-A with, with my kids a lot, and I give them, my son, I'll buy him a little kid's meal. And I love the Chick-fil-A kid's meals because they often come with a little worksheet or a little booklet. And right now they're doing these booklets that have uh, fun facts about really cool animals. My son's favorite is the one about wolves. Wolves are so cool. They do cool things. They're powerful. They, they work in packs. There's one that's about a parrot right now. Parrots are so neat. They're colorful. You know what I've never seen Chick-fil-A do? Chick-fil-A has never produced a book on sheep. No one would go for that. You would just chuck it. Like, what do sheep do? Well, they eat, they sleep, and they get shorn. I mean, that, they, that's just what they do. Sheep die in a lot of dumb ways, too. They're not very smart, and they die in dumb ways. There are stories, I'm sure you've heard of stories, of sheep following one another off cliffs. I mean, just, you think, if you look up for two seconds, you'd realize, hmm, this isn't the best idea. And the idea there is, well, if, if, if Fred is doing it, I better go, too. Here we go! I, uh, I've heard stories of, of sheep. You know, we, uh, sheep need to get shorn often, right? Their furry coats or their, their wool gets too large, gets too heavy, it's uncomfortable, but also it's dangerous to them. If their, sh if their uh, uh, coat gets too big, what can happen is they walk around with all this weight, and if they walk on an even ground, they can slip and roll onto their backs, and a furry coat keeps them from rolling back over. Friends, there are sheep that have literally died because they couldn't roll back over. Sheep are helpless. This is, this is, and this is what scripture calls us, dumb, helpless, stinky sheep. Whatever sheep are in Jesus' fold, no matter how dumb we are, 
<laughs> no matter what kind of trouble we get ourselves into, no matter how lost we get ourselves, brothers and sisters, Jesus is never going to let us perish. We won't die. We will never be separated from Jesus. It's not going to happen because no one can snatch Jesus' sheep out of his hand. Look at verse 29. My Father who has given them to me, the sheep, he's given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. No one takes sheep from Jesus. Jesus, right now, is plundering the sheepfold of the world. He's plundering it. He's snatching sheep from the world left and right, bringing people who are spiritually dead to life, bringing people whose lives are all about them, transforming them and making them all about Jesus. He is plundering the sheepfold of the world. And brothers and sisters, no one plunders Jesus' sheepfold in return. No one can do it. No one can plunder this church because Jesus is, is our Lord. And he says, because the Father has given these sheep to me, no one can take them away. It's very simple logic. God is the biggest person on the block. He's, he's, we're kids on the playground. He's the big brother. He's there. He's going to beat up all the bad guys. No one can get in God's way. And Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Our wills are the same. Our desires are the same. Our powers are the same. No one can take sheep from Jesus. Jesus is calling his sheep. And in John chapter 10, Jesus tells us that his sheep respond. His sheep hear when he calls. There's a fourfold response to the voice of the shepherd. Four ways that, that Jesus' sheep respond, one after the other. Look at verse 3 with me. Back in verse 3, the beginning of verse 3. The sheep hear his voice. When Jesus calls, his sheep hear his voice. To hear Jesus is to know with a heart of faith that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is our Savior, and that Jesus is God. He is who he says he is. Before we can sing, I am who you say I am, we believe that God is who he says he is. Throughout Scripture, God's people are told to hear God when he speaks, to listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord your God is one. Satan's world-ruining strategy was to make God's people doubt. Did God really say? Jesus' sheep hear him. When Jesus speaks, the sheep of Jesus hear Years ago, my wife used to teach a, a, a preschool class. Uh, she taught a couple years, and I love walking in at the beginning of the year. It's, it, there's chaos. The kids aren't listening. And at the end of the year, I'd, I'd walk in, and all my wife needed to say was, one, two, three, eyes on me. And those little three-year-olds, like robots, would turn and say, one, two, eyes on you. It's astounding. They know her voice. They, they know to listen. They drop what they were doing, and, and they listen. No matter how loud the sounds of the world are, no matter how big the crowd we're in, Jesus' sheep hear Jesus when he calls. And that's not because we're great listeners. Let's keep reading. Second, his sheep know his voice. Jesus' sheep know his voice. Look at verse 4. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. The sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. To know the voice of Jesus is to recognize him when he speaks. 
It's to know who he is with an intimate, personal knowledge. Jesus speaks to the storm on the sea, peace, be still. And the wind and the waves know their maker and they do what he says. Jesus speaks to Lazarus, buried in a tomb. Lazarus, come out. And the cold heart and the empty lungs know the voice of the giver of life. And they respond. They fill with air. They fill with blood. Death is reversed because they know the voice of the giver of life. And when Jesus speaks, the great shepherd, when the good shepherd speaks, his sheep hear him. They listen because they know, ah, that's my shepherd. Christian, the reason that you can't sin and be at peace is because the voice of your shepherd is too loud in your ears. Your neighbor can rage against his family and sleep peacefully at night, no problem, because he doesn't hear the shepherd, but you can't. Your, your neighbor can nurse a, a porn habit and sleep peacefully at night, but you can't because you can't avoid the voice of the shepherd. His voice is known to you. He will call you out in a sermon. He will call out to you in your scripture reading. He will call out to you in your conscience alone in the dead of night when you think you're all alone and he will say, I am your shepherd, follow me. And because you are his sheep, you will obey. And that leads to the third thing that Jesus' sheep do. They heed his voice. Look at verse 3 again. Read verse 3 with me. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out, all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. So, so they follow him, they heed his voice, they obey him. To heed Jesus' voice is to obey him. That's it. A sheep doesn't weigh his shepherd's commands. He doesn't evaluate the soundness of his master's plan. He, go, he doesn't go, hey, shepherd, I know you're trying to lead me this way. I'd rather go off this cliff. He doesn't do anything. He just goes, yeah, sure. He says, bah, and he obeys. Jesus says, honor your father and mother. The world says, but Jesus, you've never met my parents. And Jesus' shepherds say, ah, my shepherd. Jesus says, I am the door. No one comes to the Father except through me. The world says, yeah, but Jesus, aren't you a pretty nice guy? I mean, aren't you going to open the door to anyone who's genuinely sincere? And Jesus' sheep says, ah, my shepherd. Jesus says, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. The world says, Jesus, I've lost so much already following you. Isn't what I've given enough? And Jesus' sheep say, ah, my shepherd. To heed the voice of your shepherd is not to look back at what you've left behind. It's not to look to, look to the left. It's not to look to the right. It's to strain your neck so you can hear your shepherd again and only his voice. And that's important because the fourth thing that Jesus' sheep do is that they do not heed the voice of a stranger. They flee other voices. Look at verse 5. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Aha! Stranger danger! It has a verse in the Bible. <laughs> We're dumb sheep. 
we hear a voice that doesn't sound like Jesus, and we go, bah, and we run away. That, that's all we know to do. We don't evaluate and go, hmm, that sounds nice. We don't know the voice, so we run. That's what we do. To know Jesus' voice is to recognize when he isn't the one speaking. I can't tell you how many times I've heard in, in my time of ministry, not here very often, but in other ministries, someone tell me, well, God told me. God told me this. He told me this in a dream. He told me this in a vision. I remember in college, a number of times I'd have young men tell me, I'd ask them, why are you dating this girl? What are you doing? And, and I had one guy tell me, well, God's telling me to marry this girl. And I said, uh-huh, okay, that sounds great. And he said, isn't, you know, isn't that in the Bible? Doesn't God tell people to marry other people? And I said, yeah, there's, there's one place that I can think of. Look up the prophet Hosea. Ouch. I hear people say this all the time. It's common in our day to do this. Satan in the garden, he goes to Eve and he tempts her. Not, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, bully her into eating the fruit. He tempts her. He gives her what she wants to hear. She tells her, you'll be like God. You'll be able to make your own decisions. You'll be able to evaluate the voice of your shepherd. Be able to decide for yourself whether what he's saying is sound. Satan comes as an angel of light today. In our culture today, oh, we hear this all the time. I love the, the words of Jesus in the Gospels, but Paul, nope, don't like that. I like the New Testament, but the Old Testament, let's unhitch, leave behind. Jesus is, is, a, is a, a, a better fundamentalist than the, the best of the fundies out there. He's more of a biblicist than, than any of us who say we love the Bible. This is his word, I and the Father in one. The Holy Spirit is one with Jesus and the Father. This is all the word of God. And when, God's, when God speaks, we don't evaluate it. We don't say, I don't know about that. We just obey. And we flee every voice that's not Jesus's. Jesus mentions some pretty bad characters in the sheepfold. In the sheepfold of the world, there are some bad dudes how do we know we can trust the good shepherd, right? If you're not in Christ, if you're here this morning, if you're new to Christianity, the good shepherd is calling to his sheep. How do you know that you can trust the good shepherd? Well, Jesus gives us two reasons he's trustworthy. First, the good shepherd is not a thief and he's not a robber. That might seem obvious, but he needs to say it. Look at verse 7 with me. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to, to steal and kill and destroy. There are some bad dudes in the sheepfold. In verse 1, Jesus tells us that they sneak in over the fence. They're up to no good, so they have to creep in undetected through, through a, a way that's hidden. Verse 10 says that the thieves have a purpose. They're, they're not there just to hang out with the sheep. They're, they have a purpose. They're there to steal sheep. They're there to kill sheep. They're there to destroy the flock. Not Jesus. He enters the fold to save his sheep to give his flock a good pasture. That's what he tells them. He enters the sheepfold not to gain, but to give, to serve. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. He's not a thief. He's not a robber. And also, he's not a hired hand. Look at verse 12 with me. 
Look down in verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. A hired hand watches a flock for someone else. In that culture, perhaps it was a wealthy owner who lives in the town. He has too many sheep uh, than he can watch himself. And so he hires other people to do it for him. The problem with hiring someone else to watch your sheep is that when there's danger, they tend to jet. Wolves prey on sheep, and when a hired hand sees a sheep coming, he hits eject. If he stands between that wolf and the sheep, the odds are those wolves are going to take him out so they can get to the sheep. A hired hand who doesn't own the sheep says, my life's more valuable than theirs, I'm out. He ejects. He's not putting his life online to protect some dirty old sheep. Not the good shepherd. He puts his life on the line for his sheep. He won't leave us no matter the danger. We can trust him. Why can we trust Jesus? Some of you have experienced immense loss following Jesus. Some of you have been promised things by people who call themselves Christians, and as you follow Jesus, you realize those were not really promises that you were ever given from God. Some of you are doubting whether what Jesus offers later, right now, is actually going to be better than what you are being offered in this moment by the world. Why can you trust Jesus? Jesus gives us two reasons. First, because the good shepherd is known by his sheep. Look at verses 14 through 15. Look at verse 14 with me. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Did you catch that? The sheep know the shepherd and the shepherd knows the sheep with the same intimacy that the Father knows the Son and the Son knows the Father. If you were here with us last week, you would have remembered us talking about the joy that was set before Jesus that helped him, that empowered him to endure the horror of the cross. Jesus was able to endure the horror of the cross because of the joy of being reunited with his Father. No one experiences the kind of joy in a relationship with another human quite like Jesus enjoys his relationship with his Father. There is such joy, there is such intimacy there that no one has ever known. Until now, Jesus says, my sheep know me with the same kind of intimacy that I know my Father. That's supernatural. That's something we try to create a category for it that we don't have. There is a well of intimacy, of joy, so deep that we have in Jesus. We cannot touch the bottom. There are brothers and sisters who have given their entire lives just devoting themselves to know the Lord, devoting all their time to knowing the Lord, have lived for many, many, many years. Just last year, we just, we just passed the one-year anniversary of, of the death of our brother J.I. Packer. What a brother for the, for the kingdom, someone who has written some of the deepest works of theology for Christians. That dude lived to be almost 100, and he didn't come close to the bottom of the well of joy that we have in Jesus. Not even close. It's immense. Jesus knows his Father and loves his Father, and that is the kind of love 
and intimate knowledge that's available to us as sheep who know their shepherds. Jesus could stare down the cross with all its agony and shame and horror and endure it because of the joy set before him. And so when Jesus tells us, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me, we can say, Jesus, no matter how painful this cross, no matter how agonizing, no matter how shameful this cross, it's going to be worth it for the intimacy and the joy that I have in you. There's another reason we can trust that Jesus is a good shepherd, and that's verse 10. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Thieves come to steal. Hired hands flee. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus said all this right before Passion Week, the week before he endured the cross. And if you turn over to chapter 11, just real briefly with me, real quick, we're coming to the end here. Chapter 11, verse 47, you'll see an eye-opening conversation between the Pharisees. Jesus is growing in popularity. We're getting to Passion Week. We're getting to the Passover, and they're nervous. They see Jesus growing in power, and they're nervous for their own positions of power. So the chief priest, verse 47, so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Now listen to the commentary John gives us on that statement. Look at verse 51. Caiaphas did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. The Pharisees and the chief priests, they don't know what to do with Jesus. If they let him keep talking, all of Israel will follow him, and what they feel is going to be a revolution. And the Romans will squash the rebellion, just like they've squashed every other rebellion, and they're going to take the city of the Jews, Jerusalem, from the chief priests and the leaders. And even more frightening, they will be stripped of their own positions of authority. Caiaphas speaks. He's the high priest. He says it's better that Jesus die than that all of Israel die. In other words, Let's find a way to kill him. God speaks through Caiaphas. Because of his position, he speaks through Caiaphas, and Caiaphas doesn't even know it. God speaks through him to utter a prophecy about Jesus. Jesus lays down his life to gather his sheep. His death is on behalf of the nation, and not the nation only, but all of Jesus' sheep scattered abroad. Verse 52, not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were spread abroad. The reason Jesus' sheep hear Jesus when he calls, the reason that Christians respond in faith when Jesus calls, the reason Christians can consistently endure temptation 
and win against the fight against sin, the reason Christians hear the voice of Jesus is because Jesus died for us. His death bought the grace, the mercy that opens our ears to hear the voice of our shepherd. We're not great listeners, but Jesus died so that we would hear. John Piper says it best, Jesus' death brought the, brought the mercy that makes his voice unmistakable to his own. We know Jesus' voice because Jesus died for us. In the Exodus, the Israelites covered their doorposts with the blood of sheep to, to, as a sign of protection that God would pass over their house when he came in judgment. And the role gets reversed. Now Jesus, the shepherd, spills his own blood for the sins of his flock. Do you hear the voice of Jesus because Jesus died for you? Friend, this is good news. It doesn't matter how far off you are. Brother or sister in Christ, you may be entangled in sin right now, so heinous, so embarrassing, it would ruin your reputation for the rest of your life. But Jesus died so that you would hear his voice and obey. You can always follow him no matter how far you've strayed, no matter what you're in today. Pray that God would apply this grace to your life. If, if you aren't in Christ, the only way you're going to hear Jesus, if, if he applies this grace to your life, nowhere in Scripture are unbelievers told, hey, try to discern if you're elect or not. Try to discern if you're in the fold or not. Christians are called to evaluate their own faith. Peter tells us to do that, but unbelievers are called unequivocally without any hesitation, repent and believe. Pray that God would apply this grace to you, that he would open your eyes, that he would open your ears to hear the voice of the good shepherd. And when you do, you will respond in faith. Brother and sister Christian, this reality should give you immense comfort today. Jesus said that he has brought us out. He says that he goes before us and that we are following him. But if we're going to follow Jesus everywhere that he goes, we are going to follow him on his mission. That's what he's doing right now. Gathering the sheep spread abroad. And he tells us in John 10, 16, that his mission is to gather his elect from across the world. And in Acts 28, the Great Commission, we're given the same mission as well. Any regular attender here at CRC, you could probably quote the Great Commission. How many times we, we say it from the pulpit, how many times we proclaim it, how many times we preach from it. It's important. We are on mission to proclaim the gospel to the nations. And John 10 teaches us that the impetus for missions is election. The drive for Christian, the motivating power for missions is the fact that Jesus is today, right now, actively gathering his elect into one flock. He is the one doing it. Election empowers our mission. This reality encourages missions in three logical steps. These steps and then I'm done. Step one, we understand that Jesus' elect are scattered around the world. 
John eleven fifty one through 52 He prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, but not for the nation also only, but to gather into one the children of God who are spread abroad. The children of God are spread abroad. Jesus' elect are everywhere, scattered throughout the earth. Think about it. The greatest number of Christians today are not in Israel. That's where Jesus started. The greatest number of Christians, I think it's, it's uh, Asia, Africa, and then the Americas. They're ends of the world. Jesus is going everywhere. Jesus' flock is everywhere, scattered. Christ's Redeemer missions isn't finished when we have reached every man, woman, and child for the gospel in McKinney. But when every nation has heard the good news of Jesus. Step two, we understand Jesus' elect are there before any of us get there, right? Before any of us step on a plane, before any of us uh, step onto a ship to take the good news to faraway countries, Jesus' sheep are already there. They're waiting for us. From our limited perspective, when someone comes to Christ, we say we've made converts, we're converting disciples, and that's true. From an eternal perspective, Jesus is just active in us and gathering his sheep who are already there. The elect are there long before we get there. Step three, we understand that this reality makes us bold for Jesus. The Holy Spirit didn't record this for us. It didn't have to, I'm sorry. The Holy Spirit didn't have to record that Jesus has predestined people around the world for election. He, He didn't have to tell us that. He could have just said, go and make disciples. And because we're obedient sheep, we would have done it. But he does tell us that. He does tell us that his elect are scattered abroad. And this reality is given to us to embolden our witness. Just real quick, and we'll end here. Turn to Acts chapter 18, just real quick. Acts chapter 18. This is many years after Jesus has died, many years after Jesus has risen from the dead, many years after he's ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit has come at Pentecost. The disciples are empowered as apostles to take the gospel to the ends of the world. Churches are being planted. Uh, Nations are being turned over. Jesus' sheep are being gathered. Paul has been saved. He's already been on one missionary journey around the world, and he's already on journey number two, about halfway through it. And look what happens. Acts 18, verse 5. Right before Paul enters Corinth. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garment and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his whole household, Many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Listen, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. I double-checked this with every commentary I could, and every commentator I read on this verse says the same thing. This command, this promise that God gives Paul, 
I have many in this city are my people, he's not referring to people who are already Christians. He's referring to people who are not yet believing. He's referring to people that if you and I walked around through Corinth, we wouldn't be able to tell who's in and who's out. We wouldn't be able to tell who's elect and who's not elect. And God comes to Paul in a vision and strengthens him with election, with this sweet doctrine when he says, keep on preaching because I still have sheep here who need to be gathered. Christ Redeemer, that's, that promises for us. There are sheep here in McKinney. There are sheep in Collin County. There are sheep in your neighborhood. There might be sheep next door to you. There are sheep in your own family unit, your own children. There are sheep who are in Christ's fold we don't know who's in. We don't know who's out. It's not our job to discern, but to trust Jesus that if we proclaim the gospel, Jesus will gather his flock together. Jesus died to gather his flock together. The commission has been given to us to join him in this task, to proclaim the good news. This Commission is from the Father. We've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. There's no way we can fail. So let's pray and ask for God's hand to help us believe this. Lord, we are so grateful that though you didn't have to tell us this reality, you have, you've given it to us to give us assurance You've given us this doctrine to increase our desire and you've given us this doctrine to increase our confidence that you, O oh Lord, are active at work and if we preach, you will be faithful to bring in your sheep. Oh God, I pray that if there are any here who have not yet believed in Jesus, that even now you would be calling to them. To, I pray that you would be speaking to them and that they would be hearing you even for the first time. That they would hear with hearts of faith and would believe that you, Jesus, are Lord, that you are God, that you are Savior. There's no other way. There's no plan B. You are it and you're enough. Jesus, for those of us who are already your sheep, who have believed in you, who are a fathering you, help us to deny every other voice that calls to us. Help us to say no to every other voice that calls to us and makes us doubt the voice of our shepherd. Help us to strain our necks to hear only you. Guide us, dear shepherd, and teach us to be obedient to you. In Jesus' name.